Hi everyone, my name is Imane Mkabariki, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sahara Ventures and uh, welcome to our new program called the Diary of the Innovation Hub Manager and uh, ideally this is a podcast show which is looking into the African innovation ecosystem. We are talking to rainmakers, people who are doing amazing work to support the African innovation ecosystem. We are trying to learn from their work, challenges, opportunities, as well as their potential to take our ecosystem to the next level. And today I'm with my good friend, uh, a partner, uh, a brother, Josiah Kwesi, who is a co-founder and CEO of iSpace. We're going to talk about everything African innovation ecosystem related, based on his experience working with iSpace and doing a lot of work in the Ghanaian startup and innovation ecosystem. Welcome, Josiah, to the show. Um, thank you, Amjumani. Thank you very much um, for this opportunity, and it's great to be here for everyone. Um, and I guess since you've done the introduction already, so I'm not doing any introduction. Yeah, so I'll jump straight into it. Um, you know, a person called an innovation hub manager, a lot of people love to know who is an innovation hub manager, who is this person. So I know you have been working at some point of time, this was your title, might be still your title. It was my title at least when I was starting my career working with Boone Innovation Hub before I moved for my own um, innovation accelerator, Sahara Accelerator. So who is an innovation hub manager to you? Um, for me, it's, it's somebody that um, ensures the day-to-day running of the hub, right? Um, so. They oversee the operations, they oversee the programs, they oversee getting um, funds in, whether um, talking to stakeholders. Um, so they like um, an overall action kind of figure that ensures that everything that the, the hub wants to do, they actually do and for who, right? Um, and so their job is to just be operational, really, um, to make sure that everything runs smoothly, both from the organizational point of view and also engaging in ecosystem and um, running programs and making sure that the lights are on pretty much. Wow, that's a lot for one person to do. Um, so for those who don't understand uh, what an innovation hub, um, there's a lot of words moving around, accelerators, incubators, maker spaces. Can, can you give us a bit of uh, a brief uh, uh, for dummy definition uh, on what is an innovation hub in African context. Okay, so um, I'm glad you said that, right? Because we have to just look at it as a hub is just a place, right? That everybody connects to. So that the innovation would be where ideas come to life, where people create things. So a hub where ideas and I would say concepts come to life. So you, the what is an innovation hub, then technically becomes a space where people with ideas will gather to then create on those ideas, pretty much in its simplest form. Now, when people call themselves incubators, accelerators, it's all definitions that lead to funding anyway, but in reality, it's a space where individuals with like minds will come and work on an idea and hopefully create something out of it. Oh, great. Um, so a lot has been happening in the African innovation ecosystem and uh, one of the questions that has been coming out a lot 
uh, when you look at the ecosystem, you have the academic institutions, you have the research and development organization, you have the government, the private sector, the corporates, um, and then the innovation hubs. These incubators accelerate, you can even call them tech hubs. Uh, there are more than 600 of them across the continent right now. So from a Ghana perspective and, uh, and a general perspective in Africa, what do you think is the role that an innovation hub is playing right now in the African innovation system? Um, great question. See, so for me, I think first you have to even look at your demographic, right? And the role that the, the innovation hubs are playing, they are playing the, um, a vital role because they offers a platform where the local, and when I'm using the word local, yeah, I don't want people to get upset in the feeling. I'm talking about the native, where they get a chance to interact with some of these um, stakeholders, like you rightly said. Because what usually did happen in the past was the advantage that um, expats and um, I would say returnees and, and diaspora um, population or the community had over the local um, entrepreneur, right? So these innovation hubs then became the level playing ground where a local entrepreneur can go and get all those support that otherwise they would never be able to get. Now, why am I saying the importance of that is if I'm able, if I have a foreign passport, right? I can travel and go and meet an investor anywhere. But then you, the um, local um, entrepreneur that don't have access to that, now for the first time you can go to a space that will bring these resources to you, right? You might not be able to afford um, a space. Your, your parents might not be um, diplomats, they might not have money. So you don't have money to meet like-minded um, developers, entrepreneurs, and all of those other stuff. So that's what an innovation hub pretty much plays, right? So, so the role of the innovation hub in Africa should not be compared to what we see in Europe and in America, because our role is vital. It offered a room for local entrepreneurs to engage and get access to resources that they would never otherwise would have gotten resources to because we already know how um, elitist our communities are, right? And I mean, we have to be honest and be frank and be honest in this conversation that we have. Um, so if you don't belong to these kind of circles, you will never get opportunities. And then the Innovation Hub was the one that killed off or attempt to kill off that um, access to um, resources in that sense. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so the, the, there have been a lot of conversation about innovation hubs and their role in the African innovation ecosystem. Um, some people say uh, it's just a money-making machine, bunch of people putting young kids together so that they can make money. They are not doing anything. There's not. There isn't a lot of success story maybe from these hubs. I'm, I'm really trying to have a very honest and transparent conversation so that you can make this clear. What is perspective on those kind of comments when it comes to African innovation hubs? Okay, and again, I think you you asking um, very deep questions and it has to be answered, right? And I always say the innovation hub is just like. Religion. Okay, so entrepreneurship is like religion, right? It takes a certain mindset to be in it. So the innovation hubs are the churches where the entrepreneurs then find themselves. Naturally, you're going to find certain hubs that are just there to make money, 
right? And we see it. They're the ones that have the right system, they can write the right proposals and operate certain programs that in reality doesn't make sense. There's no end product. They just cattle people through it and they make money and we go. But we should never ever get it confused because you have um, hubs that exist for the community based on the program that they run. And the difference that you can tell between those hubs are the ones that focus on capacity building, right? They don't do the sexy stuff. They do the real hard work, right? And they have um, leaders that are visionary. They have leaders that are trying to build an ecosystem. They have leaders that sacrifice what it is that they can actually achieve and have a voice that goes against what the industry is doing. And I'm not saying this because you're here. Now, you could have chosen a comfortable life, right? Done um, right great proposals, chilled with um, what they call the funding agencies, made money. But here you are, you're doing Sahara Spots again, which was um, creating organic, um, what do you call it, events. You put on events, you're creating local content, you're bringing um, more creatives into play because they're getting paid, artisans are getting paid, you're creating an ecosystem, right? Literally, you're creating an ecosystem. Then now you have ventures that is now looking at investment because you've gone through the grassroots, you're connecting the dots. You're looking at, okay, after we train the entrepreneurs, after we incubated the ideas, how are we going to fund them? Oh, okay, we need to put all of these things in play. Now, this is a person that cares about the ecosystem. So we should never confuse the two. Yes, we're going to have some people that are in it to make the money. And we've seen them. And for me, I don't even blame them. It is what it is. At the end of the day, if the funding um, organizations don't do the due diligence and they also co-sign that kind of mentality, then the money's on the table, they will take it. Anybody with the opportunity to take money, to do something that they don't really want to do, will take the money. It is what it is. But then you have those of us that are passionate about what it is that we're doing. That's why 10 years down the line, we're not millionaires in doing this. If anything, we become more controversial because the comments that we make are not friendly towards the ecosystem. We are trying to change the ecosystem. So for me, yes, we're going to have those that have um, identified a loophole that they're making money. They have consultants that are able to write great proposals for them to make money and write great, um, you know, do, I would say, not so effective programs. Yes, but you have hubs, you have innovation hubs that are in the grassroots, working hard, dealing with gender inclusion, dealing with uh, marginalized um, communities. So we should not muddy the waters and put them all to the same. And I also want to say to people, it's like saying to me that how many churches in this world that we're in can tell you that any of your congregation has gone to heaven? You have to die to go find out, right? See, so why is it that when it comes to hubs, we are there making hubs as if hubs are supposed to do the magical thing? That doesn't make sense. I mean, how many people been to university and ended up being jobless? Right? Do we yeah. then shut that university down because um, the graduates are jobless? No. Right, some people, some universities take money from students, and some universities care about the students. It is what it is. We just have to then support the ones that are actually doing the job, rather than focus on the ones that are not. And that's my opinion. That's my personal opinion. So going back through your diary when you opened those uh, early days of, of running and managing art space, when you're recruiting your team, when you're looking for founders. 
uh, when we are looking for young startups and entrepreneurs to, to, to support and groom to grow their businesses up to where you are right now and the influence you have in the Kenyan innovation and startup ecosystem. What are the main three lessons you have learned that you share with the new innovation hub manager right now who is about to start his career to run an innovation hub? Great question. So one would be limit your expectation. That's one, right? Like limit your expectation. Two, be patient. And then three, have a vision. And here's what I'm saying. Um, and can I explain those three things? Please do, please do. Okay. So limit your expectations, meaning that a lot of people that you meet will tell you the entrepreneurs. In reality, they're not. They're just people with ideas that just want to test something and they haven't formed that character yet. So you cannot be happy and jump up and say, yeah, I'm creating programs for entrepreneurs. I've got 30 entrepreneurs in my ecosystem. No, some of them are just titles that they pick. So limit your expectations, right? You're going to run programs that you think they're great and people are not going to attend those programs because again, you did not do a good um, market research or survey to find out if those programs identified a need and a problem and solution. You didn't do that, right? So, you know, what's your expectations in that sense? And then when you look at the fact that be patient, be patient because you have to grow the ecosystem. The ecosystem does exist. You have to grow it, literally. So from connecting... Actually, actually, that's, a very, that's a very important point. I really like this statement. Um, you know, there's this assumption, you know, uh, especially uh, uh, people who are coming from outside, they'll tell you why you guys are not doing this, why you guys are not doing this, this a pre-existing assumption that you have all these pillars necessary right. for you to work. We've been asked questions like, why are you doing events? Why are you doing acceleration? Why are you doing investment? Why shouldn't you just focus? And we're like, you know that all these other pillars are not working. So can, can you can you say something more around that area just to, to give people an understanding why African innovation has supposed to do a lot more than that what they're supposed to do? Right. Um. And again, I think it, you touched on the fact that um, we don't have that pre-existing ecosystem in place. And even if we 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 might have, um, I would say, hybrids of infrastructure that sounds like something that you might have seen abroad. So we have the universities, we have the banks, we have the software development companies. We have all of those entities, but they exist in silos. They don't exist around that entrepreneur because you were talking about the pillars. The, those pillars has to be, um, must exist around an entrepreneur. So from academia, from the financial institution, from government, from, um, I would say, the customers themselves, right? All of these things has to be formed around an entrepreneur, and it isn't. So the job of the hub is to bring all of these things into play or become all of these things to the entrepreneur. Literally, we, we see ourselves running to government to talk to government about policy on behalf of the entrepreneur. And a lot of the hub managers don't even have the capacity. They don't have the skill. They don't have the money to do all of these things. Right? Mm -hmm. See, so we are running helter skelter trying to do all of these. And then when you look at academia, academia is now connecting with hubs for them to even run training programs for hubs. So hubs are then forced to run training programs for entrepreneurs. 
Hacks are then forced to become financial, um, I would say, investors for entrepreneurs because in some ecosystems, you don't have um, VCs. You don't even have angel investors. So then a hub manager has to think about ways in which they can design a program that the uh, um, entrepreneurs will get funding from. So then we become almost like a funnel, um, a pipeline for investment. So we are forced to do all of these things because the stakeholders are operating in silos. They're not operating together around the entrepreneur. And that's where the hub managers or the hub comes in and then decides to then bring all of these people around um, what they call it, the entrepreneur. So if you go to a hub and they're doing multiple things, this is why. At the moment, we cannot specialize in one thing and then say, we're just going to focus on funding. Because if you focus on funding, you will find that you don't have that pipeline of um, entrepreneurs to even fund, right? And because of the nature of our industry, um, the hubs are not technically working together anyway. See, so funding then depicts the kind of program that you run. So for me, if I wanted to just focus on, let's say, um, MVP stage um, entrepreneur or a startup, I would then have to talk to other hubs for them to bring those MVP stage people to me. They will look at it as, yeah. wait, we are losing yeah. and so we are not going to do that. So therefore, yeah. I am forced to then create startups, create programs that get those entrepreneurs into MVP state. So this is the reason why it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a very valid point. You know, I was, uh, I was, uh, I wrote an article in 2017 about um, creating the pipeline of value and uh, supporting uh, entrepreneurs from ground all the way up and how that model can be adapted by different ecosystems and you're exactly talking about that right now because you find yourself as an innovation hub manager or as a hub you are forced to cut off for entrepreneurs at different stages of their growth and sometimes mm -hmm. it's very, it can be very destructive because you want to focus on later stage growth so that they're easy they're quick win easy to match make with investors but it's garbage in, garbage out. You those who are supplying you the entrepreneurs, they are not grooming right. them well enough. Then you find yourself in a situation where you're doing the dead work. And again, you talk right. about the university supplying you with the students who are half-packed without the skills necessary to be good engineers or founders. And then you have mm -hmm. to do the work of the university again. Right. So, <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really it's really tricky to be uh, uh, an innovation hub manager or run an innovation hub in an area. So let's move and look at a bigger picture right now. Um, if we look at the data, if we look at what Disrupt Africa has produced, what WeTracker has produced in terms of the investment that is coming into the African continent, Ghana is just outside the top four, or outside Nigeria, uh, Kenya, South Africa, and Egypt. So uh, a lot has been happening. So what do you think that the Ghanaian ecosystem is doing so well to be just outside the top four and fighting to get into that mix of some of the best countries when it comes to attracting startup investment in the continent? And another thing is that, that, that this thing, the way we see it, is, is it being reflected on the ground in Accra, that entrepreneurs feel that their ecosystem is actually growing and they're having a lot of opportunity to capitalize on uh, regional and foreign investment, or it is just on the news? Um, 
I think my people will lynch me for this, but it's a bit of half and half, right? <laughs> um, so basically what it is, is we've been able to kind of package our uh, ecosystem in a way. And to be fair, who are you comparing us to really? Because outside of the big four, right? Mm -hmm. The natural market would be in West Africa would be Ghana because you take the Anglophones out, sorry, you take the Francophones out, and then the only one that is left really is Ghana, right? And so by just virtue of where we are, presents us in that way. Now, um, our our country is also investment friendly, so a lot of these bigger entities are now looking at um, Ghana as a as a gateway because we've always always market Ghana as the gateway to the rest of Africa. So if you come through Ghana, you can then get to the rest of Africa. Um, so we've placed our ecosystem in a way that kind of makes that happen. And also our past um, history with um, the Western world kind of depicts that our um, diaspora community also enables us to be able to leverage on that, right? Um, we have a lot of um, diaspora community outside that are leveraging on um, their education, their investment, or the connections to push the agenda of Ghana. And I think our government also done well, particularly with this year or return thing that they did two years ago, that um, was marketed and made Ghana so um, you know, friendly that it allows all kind of entities to be interested, both from the, the startup point of view, um, from tourism, from tech, name it. So I think it, it's a mixture of everything. And the fact that our entrepreneurs as well are, are being are now more digital savvy. So then we are creating um, stories. We have been able to push ourselves into um, the front line and knowing that we are creating products that actually make sense. So now we have fintech um, startups that are acquiring other startups in other countries. So it's making Ghana more attractive because we've kind of looked at everything along the value chain, whether it's communication, whether it's marketing, whether it's branding, whether it's at the grassroots. We're doing something right now. Your question about whether the average Ghanaian or the average um, entrepreneur in the grassroots is getting some of the pie, so to speak, I would honestly say no, because we see it all the time, right? It's about those that have access are the ones that are always going to get these kind of opportunities in this coming. So um, the average yes, entrepreneur so, so not. If I, can ask you there, if I can ask you there, um, because you're not the first person to say this. So there's, you know, you, you have this shiny new then information about startups and businesses attracting capital at the regional level or at the global level. But when you talk to local entrepreneurs in the local hubs, they'll say, you know, they're just expat or returnees, they have a lot of opportunities, they have mm -hmm. fallen founders, they're expatriate, that's why they're attracting capital. So what can we do uh, to make sure, uh, as you call it, this piece of the pie is also reaching to this um, grassroots, suburban or urban entrepreneurs who are also takers and looking to raise investment? What do you think is the best strategy? What's the solution for that? Like, how can we create more cheaper cash? Right. So there's multiple layers to that. It's um, mm -hmm. based on a lot of the policies that we can bring into play, right? Because um, we're currently working on um, a startup act where we are looking at ways in which we can create 
or encourage investment by saying that you can only invest in a startup if they have local partners, right? So if you have Ghanaian local partners, then there's a, um, an investment cap or benefits or incentive for companies. So it could be tax relief, it could be um, anything from um, giving you employees or naming, whatever the case may be. So we're working on those companies. So it can also be done at a governmental level. And then at the grassroots level, hubs should tackle these issues. Hubs should then look at ways in which we can talk to investors, talk to funding um, partners to post investment nights where we bring in local investors, right? So even just like the way we've done tender, we can have the same approach towards local investors and say that if you're looking for 10 investors from a hub, at least 70% has to be from the local community. They should not be of diasporan or expat um, connection. Um, so we have to be that sincere we have to be that deliberate about um these things and it's not going to happen overnight but if we're that deliberate about it then yes it would happen mm -hmm. two key issues have, have, have emerged from your just from your comment uh, uh one is a question of talent and the other one is a question of local investment um i was in ghana uh, when you invited me to visit space and uh I took a tour and I moved around and uh, I saw something called the Ghana Venture Capital Trust Fund or something. I don't know if that right. thing is still there. It was a government mm -hmm. thing. What is the role that yeah, you see African economies mm -hmm. can play to spark the interest of regional and global investors to bring in capital to the continent right. to support local business and entrepreneurs? What do you see as the role of the government? There is the role of a government is huge. Um, so they can play that role by making the environment very conducive. So make it policies that support um, outside investors being attracted to invest in local startups, right? Um, so, and when you talked about talent, government can insist that some of the curriculum that even we have in our educational level changes because they're the only people that can do that. We can advocate for change in our curriculum as much as we want. Nothing can happen on government say so. And government can then force policies that ensures that organizations are partnering with local um, entities. So if it's tax breaks that you can offer, if it's um, you know investment and benefits, all of those things are things that government can do. And also government should also focus on making the political environment stable, right? Because if you do that, it will attract more investors in. Um, for me, I think government plays a huge role. And I think people should never dismiss the role or the power of government, particularly in Africa. Any other part of the world, you can play that kind of, oh, we're democratic, we can do whatever we want, that's great. But not in Africa. In Africa, government are the de facto shifters of any environment, any ecosystem. So we cannot evolve without them, right? We can never evolve without them. So we need them in every single um, space that we're in, and we have to get them involved in all our programming. We have to understand what it is that we're doing, why are we doing it, and the role that they play in it. And once they get that, they will make it easier. So like I said, I mean, when you look at Ghana, this whole return, um, your return, was really a government um, initiative, so they backed it as much as they can, right? And that they were able to bring in investments and all of those other stuff. So anything that is government-led 
then gets to the investment. Danger with that though is when it's government-led, it gets the investment until the new administration comes in and then they forget about it, right? So if we can have um, initiatives that are government-supported but not government-led, that means that it will be sustainable even if the um, particular administration leaves because it's not government-led, it's just government-supported. So it's private sector and third sector and all of this other sector-led. So regardless of what happens, it moves. So we just need government support. We don't need more government-led um, initiatives. We need government support. And the likes of the World Banks and stuff need to work more with the, the ecosystem than they do with government. I know it's the interest of World Bank to work with government more than they do with um, private sector but to me that's an oxymoron right because if you want sustainability you will work with a partner that's going to be along will be there longer yeah. than a partner that is going there for term four years four years four years see so we all have a part to play in this mm -hmm. and i think government can support the ecosystem by bringing in policies whether it's tax breaks um some incentives that is needed to encourage investment in local talent Let's, let's, let's talk more about the, the, the role of development partners, the UN, the World Bank, um, and those other big organizations that are developing a lot of interest uh, to the Africa innovation and entrepreneurship ecosystem. I remember your keynote during Sahara Sparks 2016, and that was a time most of these uh, big organizations were starting their own accelerator slash innovation hub in the continent. And you had a very passionate speech about that. Is your opinion still the same? And if it has changed, how? It's still the same. If, it, if anything, it's already changed for the worse, right? Because what is happening is they become king makers, right? Them, the founding, I mean, so the funding um, don donor partners have become king. They become king makers, so they choose them who they want to work with rather than who's actually doing the work, right? And then what then happens is some of the people that they choose are literally not doing the work. Mm -hmm. So they are splitting ecosystems based on money. And people are creating programs that are not um, beneficial to the ecosystem, but because they're getting paid for it, that's the reason why they're doing it. So you have a bunch of people now are creating hubs because they have connections to World Bank, they have connections to GIZ, they have connections to all of the other um, entities that are just giving them money to run replicated programs. So, for example, um, if I'm focused on supporting um, women entrepreneurs, why is it that an, um, a funding agency is not happy working with me because I don't come from the country that they come from? right then they will go and replicate exactly the same program and give it to another hub that has never done this program before so they have not learned the lessons that i've learned so they're gonna then invest your money to make the mistake that i made mm -hmm. then we back to square one but then yeah. if yeah. you work with me i can then work with that hub and then build the capacity of that hub for them to then run better programs going forward right but because yeah. i don't belong into your network I don't come from the same country as you, and I don't, mm -hmm. I'm controversial, or whatever the case may be, you will not support a founder that way. It doesn't make sense. And so now our um, donor partners have become kingmakers, and we all know when that happens. So we have a bunch of despotic, um, you know, hub managers that are ruining the ecosystem 
mm-hmm. for their own benefit. And that leads to the question that you asked before, that people are making money from it. Because I don't know about you, brother, because I'm not making money from these things. I'm resulted <laughs> in doing, um, what do you call it? <laughs> I'm resulted in doing um, consultancy just to mm-hmm. even put money back into running programs. And mm-hmm. people then will come and speak to you, get your ideas, then mm-hmm. go and give your ideas to somebody else because they feel like that person is not more controversial than you. But we're not supporting controversy here. We mm-hmm. want to create programs that solve grassroots problems. So the fund, um, the funding agencies are also causing problems, either becoming kingmakers or running their own accelerator programs. I've had instances where they've come to me, you sit down, you talk to them, and the next thing you know, they're running their own um, incubator accelerator programs. And then they have the nerve to send you an email to say, can you recommend startups apply for this? And then you think, wait, you think wait, you want me to send an application form to my community I created for you, for you to run your program, what did you create? What investment did you put in the ecosystem? But then because we are doing this for the ecosystem, you put your ego and your bruised, you know, your bruised ego and passion on the side to then support the ecosystem. And this is the why, this is the reason why they're winning. Because individuals like me, I might not like what they're doing, but I think about the entrepreneur. Because I think if I don't send that email to the entrepreneur, they don't get yeah. the chance. So that I end yeah. up sending it to them, then they show up at this um, you know, incubator or accelerator program. And then mm-hmm. it works. And then everybody will be clapping for that funding agency. But really, you didn't put in the work. You didn't create yeah. any um, groundwork to build a community. You just milk it off the community that's already been created, right? And mm-hmm. it's problematic. But a lot of people will not speak on these things because, mm-hmm. brother, they need to be fed. So they will keep quiet and then get along with the funding agencies, whether they get the money and then be quiet. And that's what is happening, really. So for me, the funding agencies have a huge role to play. And at the moment, they're dividing the ecosystem. They're really splitting ecosystems and creating more problems than it needs to be. Wow. Wow. So uh, <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are facing the same challenge uh, in Tanzania. And uh, there's a lot of like heated discussions around the same area. What is the role of development partners? Whether should they be engaged direct to the ecosystem or should they find strategic partners to work with? But again, my response has always been we should find uh, ways to first create our own local commercial based investment facilities to support our businesses because that is very crucial. And then uh, if our partners then come in to support our businesses, then we can strategically work with them because. I think the most important thing to an entrepreneur, first of all, is to make sure they have a commercial investor who actually aligns strategically with their vision, with their right. plan, their strategy, and plan of execution. But again, another challenge which we're facing right now, most of these funds are also predefined. Um, they are focused on specific sectors, and sometimes they even force entrepreneurs to change their ideas, to change their project, so that they can mm. fit into the fund. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, if we can move to another area, I, I would definitely love to learn um, what kind of engagement innovation has in Ghana uh, using AI Space as a case study you have with corporate companies. How do you guys engage with corporate, the telcos, uh, the mobile network operators? What is your engagement strategy? Is there any relationship or 
prison. Um, I've been out and out. I think the only um, hub that has done that, and to be fair, was um, the Stambik um, incubator. And that only happened because the bank itself created its own incubator program, right? Because what we tend to find in our ecosystem here is you go and speak to the big guys, they will just take your ideas, either give it to one of their friends or build their own um, incubator program themselves, right? Um, so what happened was that the fact that we didn't engage and we've not engaged for a long time, but the opportunity is there. I mean, we can engage with them on a corporate level. I mean, COVID has kind of shown that, right? People working mm-hmm. remote and all that other stuff. So we can engage corporates now to work with them on scaling their innovation, right? Um, a lot of the ideas that they have, how they can use startup teams to then implement those ideas rather than their own corporate teams. And we can come in, we can go in there and work with your corporates on how to use startup methodologies to attract customers, right? Um, because the startup mentality is much more fluid, it's faster, whereas a corporate mentality is rigid, right? It is is heavy. You have to go through a lot of red tapes and all of those other stuff. And to be fair, our ecosystem, some of the... Um, man, I'm going to get killed for this. Um, some of the corporate people, <laughs> some of the corporate people are not very innovative, right? They more concentrated on getting customers the stereotypical way. Let's go paint a building. Let's go and um, you know get an influencer to then you know market our product, and then we make money. Thank you very much. And go. The ones mm-hmm. that are doing something innovative are only the ones in the um, say the fintech um, sector, right? Um, they're the only ones that really so the banks are now creating their own fintech but they're working with startups that are either in the fintech space acquiring them or working with them for them to be able to create wallets and all of those other stuff for them so what we're seeing right now is the corporate relationship with fintech um, startups but then you look at the rest of the startups it's not happening even from a lifestyle um, logistics I think DHL, to be fair, are also trying to um, work with logistics startups in a way in which they can then leverage on the grassroots, um, I would say, grassroots knowledge that the startups have to then, you know, embed the APIs or whatnot into the startups so that the startups will be able to use their logistics platforms to do the delivery. And um, so, yeah, I will definitely um, commend the likes of DHL and some of the banks, um, but the rest of the corporates there, nah, none of them, none of them are interested in doing any of these things. It's only the um, financial institutions and the logistics institutions that are the ones that Wow. So um, the, the, the other issue I want to, 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 to know and uh, to learn from what is happening in, in, in Ghana is, is the issue of talent and engineers. We, we, we talked about this. It's, uh, it's one of the biggest challenges, especially for, for people who are doing iron tech products. Uh, it's very difficult to get good, uh, talented software engineers to work with. Um, how is that issue being addressed in your ecosystem right now? you have any coding schools? Uh, how, how, how are you guys trying to address that issue? Um, so the we we are able to address it because we have a lot of them. Um, so even with iSpace, we run our own coding program specifically okay. for software development, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we train them from, uh, you know, 
intermediate, I'm sorry, from the beginners all the way to um, the higher level languages. So from Python, Ruby, uh, React, all of those other languages, we're training people on that platform. Now, we try to get them internship jobs and all of that. Now, what we've created, though, is the monster, which is a developer, right? We've created the monster. So a lot of developers now, they become the rock stars. And because they become the rock stars, they are charging ridiculous wow. amount of money that a lot of these startups cannot afford. I mean, we had a whole, um, what do you call it? We had a whole debate one time when um, we had certain developers saying that, well, they will not work for less than $5,000 a month. Wow. Right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that's just the developer wants to be paid $5,000 a month. So it's how many startups you know? It's a startup. How many startups you know can afford that, right? Because what is happening is we saw the likes of Mandela coming in, poaching yeah. um, um, developers. So developers were no longer working for startups anymore, or they were not even starting their own companies anymore. They were busy doing remote work because they were getting paid. See, so when you hear that your friend is making, let's say, twenty thousand Ghana cities, which is about four thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You are not going to be working for a startup that is paying you 3,000 Ghana cities, which is about $500 a month, right? You're yeah. not. So yeah. we've created monsters. And it's not their fault. It's just how the market has reacted to it, right? So mm-hmm. we then need to find ways in which we can level that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, start um, need to find investment into startups that would then be able to afford these people. Um, you know, these entrepreneurs, um, I mean, sorry, these developers, them to be able to create the product. Because Ghana does not have a talent issue. Ghana mm-hmm. has um, a salary issue, right? Oh, wow. um, because, yeah, we don't have a talent issue. We have a lot of talented individuals in our ecosystem, like mm-hmm. really good developers in our ecosystem. The only mm-hmm. difference is they're the rock stars. And because mm-hmm. they're the rock stars, the market rates that they, they charge them, Mm-hmm. People can't afford them. Wow, wow. Mm. Interesting, actually. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll try to cross check with some few developers in Dar es Salaam. If they will charge me 5,000. Yeah, so another thing which I wanted to, 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 to talk to you about is, is around, um, we, you, you touched it, uh, about it a bit on, on the role of diaspora. Um, already we are seeing uh, a lot of linkages between Ghana and the Silicon Valley, Ghana and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and other European matured, we can call them startup ecosystems. Um, what I know they're coming in with exposure capital, which is very, very important, and networking opportunities. But what do you think? What more can they do in order to ensure we are creating? Um, those dream startup innovation ecosystem that we want to see. What is a strategic role that they can play? I'm very sure you have some people out there with a, you have some Ghanaian outside with a very good intention with their own innovation ecosystem and they don't know where to start. So what will be your, what, what will be the advice you give them? The advice I'll give them are two things. Um, synergy, right? And the second one being mentorship. Now, when you come to the ecosystem, I always say those of us that grew up abroad, 
we we think is like back to the future, right? You saw what can happen in the future and you come home and now you want to implement the same things. But you also have to kind of, I would say, humble yourself and then understand the local dynamics. You might not have all the great technical people. You might not have all the great marketers and all the ideas and, and you know, I would say the visionaries in your ecosystem. What you need to do is you need to mentor the people. So if you are a communication expert or you have some some of communication experience, when you come here, do not expect the people locally to have the same vision and talent and um, experience that you have. Because if you, if they had it, you won't be here to be a king, right? You then have to train people. You have to mentor people. You have to exchange that knowledge. You learn from them as much as you impact into them, right? And then once in the um, investment field, also have to come and teach these startups how to be how to be investor ready, right? What mechanisms you need to learn, what kind of mechanisms you need to put in place for you to be investor ready. So the diaspora or the diaspora in our ecosystem is more of a mentor mm-hmm. rather than the implementer, right? You become a mentor rather than the implementer. So the local partner is the implementer because they understand the local dynamics, whereas you become a mentor because you understand the global dynamics. So you work with your local men and partner to then ensure that whatever startup or program that you want to run gets to the grassroots, but at the same time has the global feel to it. So it requires that um, ability to teach, ability to uh, mentor, and um, yeah, pass off knowledge. So for me, that's that's the role of the diaspora, really. Come and invest. Don't just invest from a monetary point of view, but also yeah. invest from an intellectual point of view too. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Josiah. We are, we are heading to the, to the last part of our conversation. And uh, so the conversation now will be more futuristic. So what is next for the African Innovation Hubs? Um, for me, I will say moving into serious VC stages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can all speak with one voice, we mm-hmm. should find a way where we can turn a lot of these innovation hubs into universities. Right? Mm-hmm. Because the cost and the programs that we run, mm-hmm. they are of a global standard so that these startups mm-hmm. can get certifications and stuff from it. And mm-hmm. a lot of them waste their time being in universities, um, you know, doing what it is that it's supposed to do. So for me, we should look a way in which we can um, muscle our way into academic spaces. Mm-hmm. We should look at ways in which we can become um, VC, like really a magnet to VC. Mm-hmm. We should look at ways in which we can engage ourselves into policy. Mm-hmm. We can look at ways in which we can engage ourselves into content creation, like the way you're um, creating content, not only from even this podcast, but from events. Yeah. Um, and I saw the whole um, Tanzania um, Silicon Valley thing that you revealed the other day, which should become visionary, right? Mm-hmm. So the hub innovation ecosystem should look beyond just our area that we're in. How can we con- connect the whole of the continent? We need, wow. we need to become more segmented and say, okay, um, mm-hmm. Ghana is good for software development. Um, mm-hmm. Tanzania might be good for hardware. 
um, or Tanzania might be good for marketers or whatever. How do we then use this whole um, inter-Africa free trade connection wow. and then connect as hubs for us mm-hmm. to then support talent that way, right? So the, um, the innovation hubs need to talk to each other more. Mm-hmm. Um, not only show up at the AfriLabs gatherings, mm-hmm. but literally talk to ourselves even more and become yeah. vision. We need to look away where we can set up our own VCs amongst ourselves mm-hmm. so that we can then attract a lot of the funding from the Silicon Valleys and everything else. We need to start speaking up for ourselves. We should not let outsiders speak for us, mm-hmm. right? So the networks, the, um, the hub managers themselves need to be uh, good at communicating and telling their own story. Mm-hmm. Um, and move away from this humble, humble path or this humility path that we've taken. Because mm-hmm. if you do not highlight what you're doing in your ecosystem, nobody mm-hmm. knows about you, mm-hmm. right? So we need to move from just being hub managers to become great storytellers so that people yeah. can see what it is we do. So again, um, storytelling, looking at investment, looking at disease, and mm-hmm. yeah, engaging more with the diaspora community for us to be able to achieve um, the necessary things that we want to achieve. Wow, Josiah, this has been super amazing, my brother. And uh, I hope I answered your questions, though. <laughs> you, you, you have, you have answered my question. I, I, I thought I was visionary, but I just realized you're visionary square. So, so basically, my last question to you. What is your dream, ideal Ghanaian startup innovation ecosystem? The dream would be having startups that would gain local investment to the point where we start our own local VCs that will invest two, three, four million to ten million into local startups who will create jobs that are solving global problems but have local impact. Wow. That would be my. Thank you so much, Josiah. It was great catching up with you, my brother. Uh, I've learned a lot from the session and from the conversation. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to ask me? Um, I don't know how you do it, but listen, you keep pushing, 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 and you inspire a lot of us and keep doing what it is that you need to do. And yeah, when am I coming back to Tanzania? That's the question. <laughs> I'm going to invite you very soon. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure with all these travel restrictions, but mm-hmm. I, I guarantee you, we really, we are really missing you in Dar es Salaam. And please make sure you come here. And uh, I still remember how you treated so well in Ghana. I still remember that night. Uh, we had. A and I mean, it's it's the same <laughs> love that I received. It's the same love that I received when I was there. So I look forward to coming and learn. Like I said, keep inspiring. And um, we have a lot of work to do. And yeah, um, I'm really proud of everything that Sarah Sparks and uh, moved into Sarah Ventures is doing right now. So you're Thank well you done. Much. Thank you. All so right. Much. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you appreciate for your time. Keep doing what you're doing. Like Keep disrupting. Thank you so much. You too, brother. All right. And that's Hello. it. This was a conversation between me and Josiah Crazy, uh, uh, CEO and co-founder of iSpace Ghana, one of the rainmakers in Ghanaian innovation ecosystem. Until our next episode, this is the Diary of the African Innovation Hub Manager, and I'm Juman Nemtamariki, the CEO of Sahara Ventures. Thank you so much.